It's time for another exciting, enthralling, stupefyingly monotonous, and entirely unnecessary episode of TV Chinwag. Please welcome your hosts with the meh, Ryan and Jules. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of TV Chinwag. My name is Ryan, and with me as always is the woman who co-hosts the show, Jules. <laughs> hey, well, that's as clever as I can get today on a Saturday afternoon. Well, that's okay, Ryan. I realise you have been working for 36 hours. You're currently in the car. Um, uh, driving home. Yes. No, hands-free, of course. So um, <laughs> if you die in a fiery pyre, um, I'll be not co-hosting anymore. It'll be all my show. And my plan will, have, wo- my plan will have worked. <laughs> yeah, I have the documentation with my lawyers in case uh, <laughs> I fail to show up. They'll automatically send you all the passwords you need. <laughs> What about the money? What about all the money we make from this? Yeah, yeah, you'll be on the hook for that too. <laughs> okay, well, we've got to another... I was just reflecting, Ryan, because uh, last week we talked about The Missing and The Affair, both of which were um, pretty amazing TV shows that haven't got a lot of coverage. Uh, another two shows this week, which I think are both really quite incredible and um, I was just thinking it's been a really amazing year for, for, for TV and such a variety of stuff out there. They're just thinking back over the 60-something shows we've talked about um, and there's, you know, it's not like it's been hospital drama after hospital drama or everything's a lawyer show or whatever. It's really varied at the moment. Yeah, it, and you know, there's, it's great because you're seeing these people that are taking chances, that are uh, you know going on limbs and you know doing big things like these period type shows that they're doing are, I mean, they're very expensive and and for networks to go out or I, I shouldn't say networks, I should say content providers, I suppose, uh, going out and doing that, it's a huge, it's a huge gamble, it's a huge investment, and uh, you know, I think it's paying off because. Television is becoming the main medium that I think people want to go to instead of um, features where they used to be. Uh, well, and we, yeah, we've commented about that and also that, of course, television these days means stuff being broadcast in, in on a number of different platforms and um, certainly we're going to talk tonight about, uh, or today, or whenever you're listening, um, about a couple of shows, one which is on a, a, a cable network and the other which is a, a Netflix show and that's becoming... Uh, more of the norm these days uh, where, you, you know, you don't know where the next good show is going to come from, except it's probably unlikely to be on a major network. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, 100%. It's definitely not on the top five networks. It's going to be somewhere somewhere else, somewhere where people are willing to take those risks. And they are, and they're, you know, in a way, you know, the opposite could play out because obviously these other platforms are more early in the development of their business model and everything. They could be seen as being, they could have gone the way of being risk averse. They could have gone the way of, of replicating what's on the, the sort of major networks that's got, you know, sort of a proven track record in, in audience, even if not in, you know, sort of creative value. But they have gone the other way. They have uh, taken the risks. And uh, so far, anyway, it seems to have really paid off both for them and most of all for us, the audience. Um, I'm surprised one of the shows that we're talking about today, which I think is a world-class show, comes from Cinemax. 
which you know, hasn't really been known as the proprietor of good taste, I don't believe, in the, um, you know, in the entertainment industry. They've really known for a lot of, you know, sexy stuff is the way I've always thought of them as, you know, being, you know, blue movies after dark sort of thing. Um, so to come out with uh, something like this, I think, is, is a pretty groundbreaking move. Uh, it certainly is. I've got a couple of little bits of news and then we'll get into it. Um, of course, everything's winding up at the moment for the uh, uh, mid-season breaks for all the shows that started in fall. We had the mid-season finale of uh, The Walking Dead this week. And without any spoilers, Ryan, what did you think of that? Uh, depressing, sad. <laughs> I, I don't know. I kind of want to give up on that show. It's kind of like, you know, what's the... What's the point in getting attached to these characters just to have them? Anyways, <laughs> I mean, it's a mid-season or season finale. Someone's going to die. You know that already. So. Well, it, it does does bring up the bigger point, though. I mean, we're in, what, season five now of The Walking Dead. Uh, it, it's continuing to be just this ratings, you know, power. So, obviously, people are, are continuing to love it. But uh, And we, we've got the spin-off uh, show is going to be starting next year. But, of course, it is... This, the case after this long is, and we were told from the beginning, this is not going to be about looking for the cure or the you know the world coming to rights or whatever. We really are following a group of people wandering around in the post-apocalyptic zombie world, um, and at some point that can become as depressing for a viewer as it is for those people. And as they all start to ponder, you know, what is the point? You know, why don't we all just kill ourselves? Because you know, life really sucks in the in the <laughs> zombie apocalypse. There, there are no bright moments, and uh, one of those bright moments was snuffed out uh, in the mid-season finale. So, um, it's it'll be interesting to see how it goes over the next uh, the back half of this season, and I think go, going on because. Um, uh, there's without giving any big spoilers away. Uh, uh, there's uh, when you look at our group that we've been following. Um, I'd go and hide under a rock to avoid these people at this point, because <laughs> yeah, basically yeah. they're a bunch of psychotic killers <laughs> who they are. They are the ones who knock. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well put. Uh, and that, as someone who's just also this week, I've got the last uh, episode ever of Sons of Anarchy. Uh, you know, so I've spent uh, seven seasons with some really execrable, horrible people in that show. And, you know, you start to wonder, is this how I want to spend my Wednesday night? Yeah. yeah. Um, not that, you know, and I'm certainly no one who who needs uh, rainbows and kittens and uh, redemption arcs and every happy ever after, but I am starting to think, uh, you know, it brings up what I want out of a show after a number of seasons. Uh, you can get weighed down, I, f I am finding a bit. And maybe it's just because I'm watching so many of these shows. But um, uh, And a lot of the don't, these shows don't like Sons of Anarchy and certainly The Walking Dead. There's no humour in them. Uh, there, there are no lighter moments. There are no wacky sidekicks. There's no playing with the the genre in a way to have a a musical episode. Um, right. God, Walking Dead could do, do with a musical episode. So it does become pretty pretty dire after a while. But um, I'm still watching, and uh, I will continue to watch at the moment Walking Dead anyway. Um, 
you made a, a, a very clever allusion before to Breaking Bad, and there was news this week that, uh, uh, of course, we'll have uh, Better Call Saul, the spin-off series starting, um, I think, Think I think it's starting when Walking Dead comes back next year, early next year, and Creative Vince Gilligan's also headed back to Sunday nights um, on CBS. Speaking of um, networks, uh, with a Gilligan-produced drama called Battle Creek, which is about a pair of oddball cops, uh, which filled me with total disinterest. Uh, <laughs> Now it's been, what if those oddball cops are key and peel? Ah, uh, now that would be. <laughs> you must mention the video you tweeted out today, Ryan, and we must link it on our post. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. The uh, uh, sex detective—he's the top sex detective in the world. Um, just reminds me of just shitty procedural dramas. Well, it actually reminded me of some of the better procedural dramas as well. <laughs> I mean, it was very uh, Hannibal, very, uh, oh, which one was it? Criminal Intent, all those shows that have some... It's almost, it, it, yeah, any show that has a borderline um, uh, autistic detective. Exactly. It could have been Sherlock, it could have been anything, but Key yeah. and Peele did it brilliantly. And, uh, of course, they did turn up as a couple of detectives in uh, Fargo this year. Um, okay. I would watch... Oh, maybe we're coming up with a new show idea. I would watch a show that was, like, basically a straight procedural, but with them in it. I mean, I think you could... Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you could get some laughs out of that. Well, that's what we need—a parody procedural. Um, right. <laughs> I'll put that in in the uh, in the notebook for later. Um, I think that was the main news I had this week. So why don't we go into talking about uh, Alpha? Well, did you want to talk about your Sons of Anarchy? Ah, oh, look, what can we say? Sons of Anarchy, so coming to an end. Um, it's uh it's look it's been a bloody season and <laughs> that's that's saying something for a show that uh basically just kills people all the time um as i've often said to people i i'm not sure why i'm still watching i'm certainly still enjoying it but that all the characters are horrible and <laughs> um but there's been something about it there it it's been the most bloody and over the top uh, you know, drama of this sort that I've ever watched. There's been some brilliant performances. There's no doubt about that. Um, I'll pick out particularly Katie Segal, who's played Gemma, who's the matriarch of the um, of the motorcycle club, and she has just been both the creation of the character, um, who really is up there with your Walter Whites and your Tony Sopranos, as as you know complex, evil, yet sort of sympathetic characters that you you love at the same time as you would cross the road if you ever met them. Uh, She's been absolutely uh, brilliant. Um, You know, I don't know that it's a show that stands up being picked apart in terms of character and plot. It comes to... It's greater than the sum of its parts. I'll have, I'll say that. Uh, it, it's it's been a wild ride, and I'm glad it's nearly over. <laughs> um, it's uh, the last. I'm not sure how long the last episode's going to go for. This week's episode was like 129 minutes or something. Oh, wow. At this point, Kurt Sutter basically is allowed to do whatever he likes. Um, 
and you've got to admire the, you know, look the passion that he's kept going through the this this series and how um, you know, a uh, assumedly intelligent, sensitive person like myself has become so attached to characters who really are there are no redemption arcs in Sons of Anarchy. There's there's either more evil or dead, basically. Or dead, yeah. yeah. Um, but look, you know, it's it's done what it's done and, and it's done it, you know, it's a show that knew what it wanted to do and it's done that very, very well. And I think I always connect with shows that know their mission and execute it with conviction, if that that makes sense. Uh, so it's never pretended to be anything other than, than than what it is and I think that's one of the reasons I've kept going. It's uh, uh, You've always known that this show knows who its characters are and what it wants them to do and that's not been pleasant to watch a lot of the time. It is dark, it is depressing, these are not nice people uh, and maybe in some way that's laudable. It hasn't made them out to be... Um, uh, you know, characters to admire or uh, or to aspire to, although I'm sure some viewers do. Um, it's a, a bloody and horrible life with a lot of violent, despicable people in it. <laughs> Speaking of bloody and horrible life, what about, uh, do you want to move on to our first show? Uh, yes, let's do that. Now, this is a, like we said earlier, like I said earlier, a Cinemax-based show that takes place in the 1900s New York uh, at the Knickerbocker Hospital, and it's a show called The Nick. We, mankind, have progressed so far. We live in a time of endless possibility. such humble beginnings through the astonishing modern world in which we now live. More has been learned about the treatment of the human body in the last five years than was learned in the previous 500. I will not stop pushing forward into a hopeful future. And with every blow I land, Every extra year I give to a patient. I know that at the very least, something has been won. Now, Jules, you love this show. You loved it, loved it, loved it from the first moment you saw it. You couldn't stop talking about the Nick and how badly you wanted to review the Nick. And for some reason, we just put it off for till now. Well, because I wanted you to actually um, watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I watched it this week um, on my iPad while it was on set working and you know, watching it in between shots and pausing it a, a million times. But... I got through the 10, I think 10 episodes. Was that all there was? Or yeah, was no, there? that's all there was. Yep. There was. Okay, so I got through almost through, almost through the 10th episode. Um, you want to tell us generally what the premise is uh, about the Yeah, next? look, I'll have to say the first thing that caught my attention about this show was that it's um, – it stars Clive Owen, an uh, English actor who I really like, but also it's directed by Steven Soderbergh. So, you know, you're going to 
sit up and pay attention when Steven Soderbergh's directing something, and he directed every episode. Um, so it's set in a in a hospital in New York, in a poorer part of New York in, in 1900. And I have to say, though, once I heard the premise, I actually was put off a bit because it was like about a brilliant surgeon. Oh, you know, God, how, how many times have we seen that? Um, yeah, it's pretty much Victorian house. Yeah, and uh, the hospital uh, is being uh, – uh, the administrator who's running the hospital at the moment is a woman and then there's a black surgeon who comes in and it's like I could all see all the tropes playing out. I was like, oh, God, yes, it'll be brilliant surgeon and she'll have to put up with sexism and he'll put up with racism and blah, blah, blah. Um, well, it's nothing like that. It takes all that and tips it on its head. I mean, yes, um, Clive Owen plays uh, John Thackeray, who is a brilliant surgeon, but he is totally fucked up um, in many, many, many ways. Um, the Algernon Edwards is the black surgeon who's uh, Harvard educated. He's been working in Europe where um, we learn that, you know, certainly the colour of his skin has not been a barrier. He comes back to an incredibly racially divided and oppressive uh, atmosphere in um, New York. But the twist here is he is the same as John Thackeray. Uh, he is also the uh, arrogant, brilliant surgeon. It's just that he's doing it under different circumstances. Um, his family has a connection. They're servants for the woman who is also uh, the administrator at the hospital and we get to know other people, particularly uh, a nun who works in the area and um, wonderful character, uh, Tom Cleary, who's an ambulance driver. Um, there's so much to love about this. I mean, the directing by Steven Soderbergh is uh, just breathtaking, not just in, oh, it's pretty to look at, but it tells the story in such an amazing way that everything you're looking at is telling you this story. Historically, it's fascinating. I mean, I work in the medical field, so all the 19th century, you know, stuff from 120 years ago where they're discovering a lot of the stuff that we use today uh, is fascinating, even if it's uh, bloody and bizarre at times. You've also got the history of New York at the time. So you've got both the social history, but the bigger historical context of what's going on and um, uh, the, you know, the broader political context as well. Um, and it's telling a damn good story with really, really fascinating characters that um, I never found predictable. It deals with, it does deal with issues around sexism, racism, um, abortion, uh, drugs, you name it, and does it in a way that it's always, it's in your face and really interesting in that it doesn't say this is just what happened, you know, in 1900, because, of course, it brings it into how those things play out today, of course, as well, without ever being dogmatic. It's not a, this is the special episode about abortion or this is, this is you know, hey, kids, drugs are bad, because um, it shows you that drugs can be really, really good too. Um, <laughs> uh, I will stop raving for a moment because I could go on about it, but I'm interested given my um, – <laughs> Given how much I'd built it up, what was your take on it, Ryan? Yeah, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it um, quite a bit, more than I thought I would have, actually, first looking at it. 
first seen Clive Owen, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I really want to get into this too much. And then watching it, getting to know the characters, I thought it was great. I think that Ambulance Driver is fantastic. And, um, you know, seeing, you know, a little bit of romance evolving between some of the characters is good as well. Um, you know, I, I, I would like it to be focusing a little bit more on the practice, on, on surgery, on, you know, where he's taking things. It's sort of, in my opinion, it's really got kind of derailed um, yeah. following the main character's problem. So I would personally like to go back to being more about the surgical and the procedurals, like procedures and things like this. Um, so in that regard, I thought it was fantastic. Um, you know, I I really enjoyed watching, you know, learning how they solved those problems at the time and learning how, you know, new surgical tools were invented or uh, surgical procedures were invented. I think it's fascinating. Actually, it, it, it really is, isn't it? And, and um, yeah. the... The fact of things that we, you know, we would take for granted these days, and and don't even think about how how you had to work these things out. And of course, these things have to be worked out really on real people. Um, you know, you can't test, you know, you can't test a surgical technique in theory. You have to try it on someone. I also loved because, particularly because it's also an area I've worked in uh, the sort of public health. They they have a bit on the story of typhoid. Mary, uh, who, mm-hmm. who of course was a real, real character. I, I, I could do with a public health procedural. I decided <laughs> um, because again, it was a time when a lot of these things were were um, just being discovered and developed. Uh, and it's interesting because it, 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 there's that sense that at one point as as much as there's progression in one area, you'll see in other areas, and uh, without spoiling it, particularly the treatment of mental health, uh, there's some still, you know, absolutely barbaric and, and, and horrid processes, not based on evidence that are um, are being deployed. Um, you also get the idea that uh, even if the the techniques were a bit rough, you got a lot of cocaine when you were in hospital in 1900, which... <laughs> For better or for better or worse, um, and so all those things, and just like how they're recording what they do, and which is something both of uh, the the main surgeons are, you know, they're scientists and discoverers as well. They really are out to find better ways to do things, and and some of that's ego driven um, because they want you know they want procedures to be named after them, but it's also about you know, coming up with the best surgical techniques and, and just watching how they uh, record those sort of things, how they undertake experiments, um, the politics of the hospital, of course, and uh, funding. And this is a time when this is very much, uh, you know, you have uh, rich families that are supporting some of these hospitals, but then the, you've got the intersection with, you know, uh, pharmaceutical companies are coming into it. Uh, I love the scene where they they buy you know they buy the first uh, X-ray machine, which takes an hour to take an image. Um, right. Yeah. I like the X-ray technician salesman saying, "Oh, my kids were playing it with for with hours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, five or six hours." And you're like, "Oh my god." <laughs> so it has all that to it as well, and I think the 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 and the broader sort of history of of the time is. Um, is fascinating, and, and I think you know again in ten episodes trying to um, uh, balance that side of things with 
the characters is is at sometimes I think it probably did swing back and forth a bit on, uh, you know the balance between those two things and of, of course there's as in, inevitable there are characters you care about more than others there are some particularly that uh, the hospital manager guy I was I was less cared about what happened to him and his uh, he's a character who's borrowing money from um, from organized crime basically and I was less right. less interested in his um, uh, I was interested in his personal life, but his uh, that that part of the hospital stuff I was less interested in. But that's a that's a pretty um, minor um, complaint on 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 the whole part. Yeah, I I mean I, I like the character, and I, I like that. You know, I, it seemed a little bit over the top. <laughs> you know, I don't know how badly that was needed, but uh, interesting. And you know, I like the fact that he was. You know, siphoning money or, or what you know, being greedy with what he did and things like that. I think that was interesting, and I kind of it kind of shows the mentality I think at the time um, in that sort of a situation. Um, what I would like to have seen more of is sort of the um, his battles with the city or his battles with the commissioners or whomever to you know get more funding to the hospitals or you know, extend public health a bit more, something like that. I think that's a story that, you know, you don't need to have gangsters and money to tell an interesting story, and it would have been interesting to see a bigger story based on the business side of things, I suppose. Yeah, although how interesting that is to the broader viewership, I'm not sure. And and it did did mean that we we did get one wonderful scene, which, without explaining how it gets there, basically ends up with a... Um, uh, one of the mobs has been killed by this sort of ninja assassin, which is just so out of the box. It was um, amazing. <laughs> I haven't seen oh, that Oh, okay, spoiler. Um, <laughs> it really is. You're like, what show am I watching? But it sort of strangely mm-hmm. um, strangely works. A um, couple of the minor characters we mentioned, Tom Cleary, who's this um, ambulance drivers, uh, which, of course, these are uh, at the time are generally horse and carts and uh, a bit like uh, I'm not sure if they still do with tow truck drivers, but basically they get money from the hospital for patients they bring in. So there's a uh, a thriving competition and also, um, you know, try and take people even if you think they might be dead um, to the to the hospital and then his intersection with another character who's the who's a nun who runs an orphanage that's associated with the hospital uh, and in her you know after hours she's the abortionist in the in the area and they form this really unlikely um, sort of partnership uh, that that sort of starts off as like blackmail and ends up as they have this really interesting um, friendship really that that develops and and that to me is one of the the, the fascinating uh, you get really interesting looks into into the lives of people in that time and um, they're really both well drawn minor characters I think yeah I agree that's one of my favorite parts too actually. Is their friendship and how that developed? Absolutely. Um, the other one of the other characters I love is there's a uh, Lucy who's a, a nurse at the hospital who starts off uh, you think is this sort of quite naive nurse uh, who's wooed by one of the younger doctors, but uh, she ends up in a relationship with um, with 
uh, Clive Owen and um, having many happy, sexy times. And I really liked that because it, she's she's a real. I think she's a really interesting character, and she's one of the few people that sort of connects with him and is able, in a way, through that connection. You know, she she's pretty. You know, it's not a great life being a a young nurse and she doesn't have a lot of power and there's a lot of sexism but you know she has this amazing connection with him which is basically they're basically fuck buddies um <laughs> yeah i i see you know for me she was one of the least interesting characters i hate her accent her accent's terrible by the way and it, i i just didn't give a shit about that character at all oh, okay actually. Uh, um, I like the other one, the the rich, the one who ends up getting with uh, the other guy. I think she's interesting, the rich one. Yes, yes. Um, so she's yeah. I like I like her story a little bit more, but uh, yeah, the other one I, I really don't care about at all. Oh, I liked I, I liked the, uh, yes. No, I I was fond of her, or maybe I'm just fond of cocaine fueled sex. Who knows? Um, <laughs> uh, so getting back to yeah, look the direction and first of all, you know, amazing um effort to actually direct every episode of a series. Um Yeah. The the episodes are there are three writers who write all the episodes. Um Stephen Katz wrote a couple and it's mainly the creators, uh Jack Amile and Michael Begler who've written everything else. So it's really a singular vision and I think that certainly comes across. Um uh, it's filmed beautifully, I mean just gorgeously. Um one of the really interesting things is early on, I think you're actually in the first episode they're installing um, electric light in the net, yep. and that sort of becomes a big story point. But you'll notice the way it's filmed is it's extremely dark and um, very contrasty light. So it's it's like the time you didn't have light all everywhere all the time whenever you wanted it. You know, there's often times when you're sitting in a room and it's it's pretty darn close to yep. and that's the way it was. You know, unless you get up and light a lamp, you're going to be sitting in the dark. Um, uh, mood of the room. So there was a lot of shooting like that. And I, I don't know if my iPad was really turned down, but for me, it was dark, like really, really dark scenes where a lot of times I couldn't really see faces or, or anything like that. Just sort of became very shadowy. No, I think um, that might have been partly your iPad because I didn't. No- I didn't okay. notice it being. Uh, and I watched it on television. I didn't notice it being that that dark. Um, certainly at times, but 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 not overall um but yeah the just the look of it i mean there's there's yeah um things the, again coming back to it's not just steven soderberg takes a pretty picture but he the way he um you know tells the story uh through the lens is is part of it and there's a couple of there's a couple of episodes where that's just uh outstanding certainly there's a uh, an episode based around um some race riots uh which are based on fact from um well you could say from new york today but from new york in 1900 and also um i think it's the second last episode where the thackeray's withdrawing from uh cocaine and it's sort of shot from his point of view and that's just yeah it's quite quite incredible um yeah and there's there's actually a lot of scenes in in if you go back and watch where for an entire scene they'll just be on one person's face. Yep. so they're not showing you the wives and the overs and the, the two shots and the 
singles and the types. They're just showing you one shot of an actor. He may not even be delivering all the dialogue. Yes. In fact, um, you know, I'm thinking of one of the earlier episodes when his um, other surgeon, the, the tall guy, you know, and they're washing up, and it's just on him for four minutes of yep. the scene. And that's unusual. You don't see that. It's, it's wonderful that they can do it. And, you know, it's because Soderbergh is, you know, directing every episode. He's probably very, very involved with the, you know, producers and all that stuff. He can sort of say, no, 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 this is what I want. I want to see either that or <laughs> on the day of filming, they're so far behind. That's all they have. <laughs> There's another way of looking at it. <laughs> uh, let's let's go with creative genius on on on, on okay. that. Um, I'd be. You want to go creative genius and let, instead of not enough. Time well, I'd be day. interested, like how this worked, given like from a production standpoint, given uh, Soderbergh's directing every episode. I mean, that's like logistically just how that worked and how they set up their schedule and that. But um, uh, and I'm not sure. I'd be interested to know how it. How it like how much obviously interiors on set, but how much of that external was was location? How much was you know CGI and stuff? Because um, some of it had to be obviously. We're talking nine, you know nineteen hundred New York, but uh, yeah. although it's quite tight, I mean you don't get a lot of streetscapes or views of the city. You get some, and they're beautiful. Mm. I mean they look really great. You know, in the first episode, that opening where he gets into the cab and you know, goes to the neck, um, is gorgeous. And and they, they used a real city. Um, the actual streets in, what was it, Baltimore? Well, was it? Somewhere. Okay. It's... Yeah, it was, it was actually the streets somewhere, and they, they just doctored it up, and I think probably used it as CG. Because, um, yeah, those externals. And it's quite, I don't know if minimalist is the word, but, yeah, there's a lot of empty space. Like, Soderbergh uses a lot of space, even on... As you said, uh, tight shots sometimes just through staying on that image for longer. Um, anyway, it's 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 a it's a lesson in in wonderful directing, but it tells a wonderful story. Um, and it's uh, I, I look, you know, I've been recommending it all around the place, and um, due to my um, doggedness, a number of people who were totally disinterested have watched it now and gone, oh, that was really amazing. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of people watching it over my shoulder at work, which sometimes was a little uh, unnerving when it was scenes of the suggestiveness. Cocaine-fueled um, sex. Yeah. It's like sure. Ryan's and, watching uh, porn was, at work yeah. again. Exactly. And of course, it's always when someone, one of the makeup girls, wants to watch or something. <laughs> Either um, that, or someone's elbow yeah. deep in uh, in surgery. Um, well, that seems okay as long as they're in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and certainly, some of the surgery is pretty uh, pretty gruesome. Uh, in because it was pretty gross. Really well surgery done. is still pretty gruesome, but uh, this is this yeah. is even more so. Um, yeah. Can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I think if you've got the sense now, there's so many aspects of it. And obviously Ryan and I both also, you know, connect a lot with sort of the medical side of it and that sort of history. Um, but, you know, there's great characters, a great story, great history of New York there. Um, and it looks amazing. So, uh, look, I, I, and I admit, though, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Um, it's not clear what, you know, it doesn't have a clear arc uh, at the beginning. It's not a, it's not a you know a plot driven. What's going to happen? I mean, there is sort of 
bits about the future of the hospital, but uh, it's very much a oh, no, what you call it, a character-driven piece here. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, give it a give it a watch. Uh, it has been renewed for a second uh, season. It uh, and with, again, no spoilers. But <laughs> the, and you haven't seen it yet either, Ryan. But the end, the end, final scene of the first uh, episode is just one of those, just the best, the best sort of button on the on the on the first season. It's just it's a a visual almost joke, and it's just perfect. <laughs> That's great. I'll, you know what? I'm actually going to go and watch it tonight, I think. Just before I, I go out here, I'm gonna, I got through about halfway before I fell asleep last night when I got in, so I'm going to finish watching it so I can say so I can say it's done. <laughs> Good. Good. Um, now, on to our next series. Um, again, and I should mention one of the a little segue here between them. One of the other things I loved about the Nick was the score by uh, Cliff Martinez, which is this sort of almost minimalist, um, very, very modern, almost experimental. Yeah. No, yeah. not. I, that was one of the things I was kind of like, I don't know. It's very electronical. Electronic, electronic, thingy poppy sound. Yeah. I was, oh, I loved it. I, I wasn't sure on it. I wasn't sold on loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. And I love uh, Cliff Matt. It was too modern, I thought. Well, I mean, that was obviously the choice not to do period music. Um, and I, I mean, I love his music. He, he's done. Um, uh, scores. Well, he's he was a drummer with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He he's done scores for show uh, movies like Drive and um, Traffic. Uh, and yeah, I just I, I just thought it went with the visuals so well. Um, and then to segue over the next show we're going to talk about, which is what about um, Clive Owen's mustache? Clive Owen's mustache probably deserves a, a rating of its own. <laughs> <laughs> So you were okay with it or not? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was interesting and, and friends have commented as well when they first he, – he looks quite different than he has in, in other shows and certainly as the season goes on and stuff happens to him. Uh, and, no, I was I – was ha- you, you weren't a fan? Uh, well, you, it's not my favourite style. No, not my favourite style. Well, you know, it was 1900. <laughs> yeah, people were weird. He looks like a weirdo. He looks like a mad scientist. Well, he is sort of, I suppose. <laughs> Um, So segueing into our next show, which is also a period piece set in 1919 in Birmingham in England, uh, is Peaky Blinders. We're Peaky Blinders. We're not scared of coppers. We will rid this city of his kind. Justice will be done. If you want to be part of my organisation, you have to make sacrifices. I'm a businessman. I want to make my business successful. From now on, we do it my way. Peaky Blinders on BBC Two and BBC Two HD. So Peaky Blinders, another period piece. This is set in... um 1919 in Birmingham, England, so just after the end of the First World War, and it actually picks up on a bit of real history. So there were at the time, and had been for for a few decades, uh, gangs in the area, and, and one in particular was known as the Peaky Blinders, and Peaky refers to uh, the Caps 
that they wore, which allegedly they sewed razor blades into the peaks of their caps. And then when they got in a fight, of course, they would have an instant weapon. They would grab their hat off and slash at their opponents, which you do actually get to see in the TV show. And it's much fun. (laughs) That sounds gross. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> sounds really gross. So the show is set around a particular family who's at the uh, the who runs the Peaky Blinders, the Shelby family, and particular Tommy Shelby, who's not the oldest son, but he's he's the uh, one who's really the smart one who's running everything. It played um, wonderfully by uh, movie actor Killian Murphy, um, and he's come back. He was in the in the war uh, and still bears a number of them sort of emotional scars from that um so he runs they they run a number of uh you know everything from horses to robbing people to everything in the area um including a, a recent thing where they've stolen a huge cache of uh guns uh which brings them to the um attention, if you like, of uh, the government because the guns were actually meant to be sent to Libya. Um, So you suddenly have this intersection between a very local gang and the government of the time. And in fact, the government representative who's sent to Birmingham to uh, clean this up is a young Winston Churchill. Mm. Um, And he's working with a new... um, Chief Inspector, who's been sent to the area, who's played by Sam Neill, um, and he's been sent over from uh, Belfast, where he's been um, trying to clean up, in air quotes, uh, the IRA over there. So he's a mean bastard, known for results. And so there's an intersection between, uh, or a clash, if you like, between um, uh, the Shelby gang and uh, the police throughout this. But it's really about exploring uh, the family, uh, uh, the Shelby family and those that they're associated with. One of the Shelby girls is um, having an affair with a local communist um, mm. who are also uh, under the attention of the police, of course. So you get all these intersections and, look, it's a... An amazing look at the period again. Uh, uh, the detail and that that has gone into creating this this time um, and these families' uh, lives is just quite incredible. And I love the intersection then with the the bigger sort of politics of the time. I've heard it mentioned that it's very similar, uh, very similar, evocative of what um, Boardwalk Empire is, which I know is one of your favourite shows, Ryan. So yeah, um, yeah. tell just. Tell us a bit about Boardwalk Empire. Well, that takes place in the 1920s in uh, in America, where prohibition is kicked in, and that happened right at 1920. So that's sort of where it literally starts on the New Year's Eve of prohibition. So it's essentially all about the bootlegging industry and you know getting liquor, and, and then eventually the drug trade and gangs and mob and all, all that sort of stuff as it goes on. Um, and it sounds like there's some similarities. Like I know that the the guns in this and and, and stuff were kind of embezzled and then sold off, things like that. Is, is that right in the in the Peaky Blinders? Well, yeah. I mean, the the main the main point in the certainly in the first season is that uh, you know they've they've stolen this huge shipment of guns, which were the government were sending um, covertly to Libya. So that's sort of how they get the spotlight 
put on them um, from uh, you know from a, from a government level, whereas obviously previously they wouldn't have been of um, uh, of concern there. So uh, it's like. He suddenly, rather than just fighting with other, you know, gang lords, there's there's the police and the government to uh, to work with. And in fact, uh, the Sam Neil character, who's come over from Belfast, um, and this is one of the really interesting parts, um, has a woman working for him who uh, basically is a spy, and she goes to work at the pub that all the the Peaky Blinders hang out with, which is called the Garrison, and gets a job as a barmaid. And her job is to get intelligence and, and find out about where the guns are. And so it's almost got like that sort of spy element to it as well, which, um, which I really uh, enjoyed. Mm, interesting. I didn't, I mean, I, I only, I'm sorry I never got to it. I've been so busy, but I know it was one of the ones that I actually suggested we watch. I, I wish that... Uh, I could have seen more. Now, my wife has actually watched four episodes because I put it on the other night, and she thought it was fantastic. So, yeah, uh, it's it, it, now are the accents kind of heavy because I noticed that on the first one. I kind of missed a lot of what people had been saying. I, I missed them. Uh, Look, I'm not the right the heavy accent. I'm not the right person to ask. I think I'm lucky enough to have grown up. Um, in Australia at a time where a lot of our television was equally dominated by English and American shows. So I, mm-hmm. I rarely find any difficulty with regional accents in from the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, some people might. I, I, I can understand that people would, particularly because also the characters are using the vernacular of the time. So there's lots of slang and things that, uh, you know, it takes a few episodes uh, it's a bit like watching The Wire, if you will. You know, you've got to get into, uh, you know, all their own, you know, the slang and how the, their world operates. And I think it does that very well. But yes, you're not immediate. You don't know this world. Um, you don't know the references. Um, you don't know probably the, you know, the politics of the time. And a little bit like the Nick. I mean, that was one of the, the things I found of interest was going and looking up the fact of, of what the things that they were mentioning were actually, you know, had actually happened. Uh, so, for example, I knew about the case of Typhoid Mary. So when that story started, I knew immediately what they were referencing, whereas right. other pe- other people won't. And I think the same with the, uh, the, the Peaky Blinders. It takes you a while, and it would have been the same, I'm sure, with Boardwalk Empire. Oh, oh bless Sorry. you. Um, oh, that that was so bad! It came right through the internet. Uh-huh, I'm sure it did. Um, I've got your slag dripping off my headphones right now. Nobody knows what you're talking about because I paused my microphone when I sneeze. <laughs> oh, you're so cunning. Yeah. Um, but look, I think cunning it- sneezer. That's what they call me. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, that's not what I've heard. Um, no. S- Look, I think any good show that's creating a new world or taking you to a world you don't know, and that doesn't matter whether it's it's science fiction or a period drama. Now, some eras are more familiar to us, and I'm sure people are probably more generally aware of, say, the 20s in the US and the Prohibition era and references around that than they are, you know, the 20s in Birmingham in England at the same time. So yeah. it does take you a while. and that's, But that's part of the joy of watching a show like this or Spartacus or, um, you know, as I said, any or, you know, the 100. I mean, it's all about 
you learning about a new world. And I think they do that really, really well. Um, you were talking about dark. This is certainly uh, a dark show, not just in tone, but in visuals. It's very grey. There's not a lot of colour happening in the world at this time. Yeah. I mean, you, you think we're on the eve of the Great Depression. Uh, we're post the First World War, which obviously in, in the UK has a lot you know, a lot bigger uh, impact at, at, at every level of society and politics. So that's, you know, that's continually referenced and people's relationships um, from the war, you know, still bear uh, on their relationships back in civilian life. Um, it, it's certainly fascinating. It is, um, it's a it's a pay attention show, uh, definitely, because there is so much going on. Um, we're at the second season, so both first and second season are available on Netflix. Uh, and I can say as added added uh, impetus to get through the first season to the second season is that Tom Hardy uh, joins the show in the second season as a London um, a London gangster called Alfie Solomons, who is as fucking mad as a cut snake and really, mm. really scary. But um, in typical Tom Hardy fashion, he's just magnificent. Um, he makes he has these speeches that are just about how he's tortured people that are hilarious, um, mm. <laughs> and and provides a really uh, good foil for uh, the Killian Murphy character Tommy uh, Noah Taylor, the Australian actor. Uh, also plays uh, uh, Darby Sabini, who's uh, very involved in the racing industry, and a lot of the um, a lot of the crime is around uh, the racing industry. Um, so, look, I would I would certainly recommend this. It, it's uh, it is a sit down and watch show. It's on Netflix, so it's only six episodes in each season. So. Uh, uh, a good one to watch uh, over while well, we've got hiatus now because I think, uh, and I've said this before, I think shows that take attention and take you getting into the that world are really good to watch as a bit of a binge watch because you can watch three episodes or four at once and then you get it. Then you, you get the bits of the puzzle that are coming together and you get the, you know, you understand what they're talking about as well. Um, and, yeah, uh, it's written by Stephen Knight. Again, it got a crossover from movies to um, to television in that he's known for as a, a screenwriter and director, uh, particularly a uh, movie a lot of people will know is Eastern Promises, mm-hmm. uh, Viggo Mortensen. And he actually directed uh, Tom Hardy in one of my favourite films of this year, which is called Locke, which the whole movie is Tom Hardy in a car driving. Um, that's the whole that's he's the only character in the movie and the whole thing is the camera on his face talking on the phone while he's in the car driving. It's amazing. Sort of like how I did this podcast today. Very like or how, most of it. Exactly like how you did the podcast you just been Would you would you call me ground like a groundbreaking pr- producer? Um yes, definitely Ryan. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Stephen tonight. Uh, Stephen, not Stephen tonight. That's uh, the other, the other Stephen. That is. Um, 
And look, it's interesting because Peaky Blinders has been really big in the UK. Uh, they did a thing recently in Birmingham where you could go and have your photo taken and have it photoshopped into a fake uh, newspaper uh, front page of you next to the Shelby family. And apparently that was, you know, that was a huge thing. So it's interesting when, you know, this is a show that I, I don't, know many other people who've watched um mm-hmm. but it's it's really big over there uh obviously because it's about their world um and i hope more people watch it though because i think again it's it's both fascinating on you know history on character uh and building a world that that you can get drawn into yeah it, and I mean, it doesn't hurt to learn more things. I mean, it, this is fairly accurate. It's not, I don't think it's by the book or anything, but it's certainly going to give you a good view of what the world is like then, and that will only make you a smarter person. <laughs> so if you want to be a smarter person, you got to listen to TV Chinwag, and you got to listen to our recommendations. Watch those short shows, and by the end of the year, guess what? You'll You're know smart. stuff. Well, I mean, yeah. you think if you watch something like The Nick, which is set in 1900 New York, you watch Peaky mm-hmm. Blinders, 1919 uh, mm-hmm. Birmingham, watch uh, Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire, Empire sit in the 20s. 20s. Um, yeah. yeah, look, you're being entertained and you're learning stuff. And just the contrast between those worlds at that time tells you a lot. I mean, the world of Peaky Blinders, there's no, you know, their version of glamour would be laughed at by the characters of Boardwalk Empire. Right. You know, right. uh, it, it's as I said, you know, particularly the after effects of well, the First World War on them. Um, it's you know their idea of rich. You know, wouldn't buy someone on Boardwalk Empire a pile of shoe, a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's all those things that you you think about. Um, again, we've got wonderful, as we said, we've got Steven Soderbergh directing The Nick. We've got Stephen Knight writing Peaky Blinders, and actors like Killian Murphy and Tom Hardy acting in it. I mean, it's and and uh, and uh, what's his name on. On the other one too, Steve Buscemi on uh, Boardwalk no, Empire. Well, Steve Buscemi, yeah, but uh, I was thinking on um, Clive Owen. Clive Owen yeah. as well. I mean, these are all huge, huge movie actors yep. um, that are doing television now and and bringing it, just bringing it. So it's a very interesting world we live in. <laughs> it is. So don't go out into the world. Stay home and watch more TV. Mm-hmm. That is the key to things. That is a doctor's orders. <laughs> Uh, and take more cocaine. Um, uh, that should don't be should, should be brought don't, back into the health system. See, I don't think you. I think you missed the point of that plot. Yeah, I missed the Jules. point where I should. I don't want any antibiotics. Just give me cocaine, and I won't care that I've got a cold. Okay, um, that's, yeah, that's. <laughs> hey, that's at least crazy. the cocaine has stopped me smoking the opium. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now you miss your prostitutes. Oh. God, he has a, like what the opium den in the Nick is is to be envied as a place of recreation. I think. Um, anyway, yes, <laughs> I might be reading this show slightly differently than other people. Um, that's all from us this week. Thank you, Ryan, for being a mobile podcaster. It's my pleasure. I'm sorry that if the quality of this uh, podcast suffers, but at oh, least we got it, it will to only, you on time. It will only be the technical quality. The content, as always, was A1 quality. We'll be back next week. I've got hey, what are we doing next week? Absolutely no idea. You know what? We talked about doing the chinnies, so let's put that together. Um, we also wanted to, I wanted to do a special Christmas episode by the end of the year, so maybe we can roll that all up into one 
tight little joint of goodness and smoke it. What's what the <laughs> hell am I talking about? <laughs> I'm on board with that. So come back next week for the Chinnies Christmas and Ryan and Jules getting baked. Okay, thank you very much. We'll Bye, everybody. see you next week. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. Send email to fans at tvchinwag.com or follow on Twitter at tvchinwag. Music for this podcast provided by YouTube Music. For Ryan, Jules, and myself, Rich Rubin, thanks for listening to TV Chinwag. <laughs>